Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Robert White. Robert is an author, a speaker, and he's also a mentor to growth-oriented individuals. He's founded and led high-impact personal development seminars that have graduated over 1 million people, many of which have been healthcare professionals. And so I wanted Robert to come onto the show and I welcomed him onto the show so, so that he can chat with us about the benefits of personal development for healthcare provider well-being. You know, sometimes I think that we focus so much on our professional development that we forget about our own growth and development and who we really are and why we're here, you know, what our purpose is essentially for being here. So you don't want to miss this episode. I know I learned a lot just from my short conversation with him and I'm sure you will too. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to be with you, Jennifer. I hope we can uh, have a conversation of value to your participants. Yes, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure we will. But before we get into kind of the gritty of it, can you tell me more about yourself, Robert? I know you've overcome a lot in order to get to where you are today. So I'm interested in your story. You know, I'm blessed when I do public speaking today to receive very nice introductions. Uh, Of course, I rig that because I send out recommended introductions (laughs) in advance. (laughs) But uh, and there's I have a six minute video that you know, says I walk on water. I saw that, by the way. (laughs) Okay. So I almost always start those talks by saying that the most special thing about me is that I'm an average person. Mm -hmm. You know, I struggle with my weight. I've been remarkably successful at getting married and remarkably unsuccessful at staying married. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the list goes on. I'm, I'm a really average person in many, many ways, kind of undisciplined and 
crazy and creative and all those all those things. As my former wife once said in a social event, you know, Robert did not get a job at J.C. Penney's. I, I, I didn't get the nine to five Monday through Friday job, and I've never had one. But I, I grew up poor. I grew up in a very abusive environment, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of that, with an alcoholic father and a very angry, violent mother. And I think my experience in the training business tells me that a lot of people have rough beginnings. And people seem to make one of two choices most of the time. I mean, I'm sure there's a third, fourth, and fifth choice that I'm not thinking of right now. But mm -hmm. they either choose to be overcome by those kinds of beginnings and, uh, you know, that descend into alcohol or drugs or, you know, I have a friend whose wife is, uh, does not leave the home. You know, he loves her. He, he's committed to the marriage. It changes his career path and everything because he takes care of her the way you take care of a pet, you mm -hmm. know. So you can react to a bad beginning that way, or you can get maybe a little angry or a little bit defiant or something where you go out and you do something with your life. So I'm that second person. And uh, my statement to myself, I'm not sure that I voiced it out loud, but looking back, I know that my real come from was, I will never be poor again, mm. which brought me a tremendous amount of success. Uh, you know, a 14,500 square foot home in Aspen, Colorado on 76 acres and my own jet and, you know, all of those symbols of success. However, if that's what your motivation is, to get away from something, what it also leaves you with is a decided lack of joy and a lack of satisfaction. You're always just striving. The I'll show them kind mm -hmm. of way of showing up. And that was my life for many, many years. And again, it worked really well. Uh, and then I started waking up in that beautiful home with everything, thinking, God has something in mind for me, and I haven't done it yet. Wow. I mean, most mornings that was there, and I hated it. Yeah. I thought, well, how ungrateful I'm being. <laughs> you know? I, can see the, I can see that feeling very conflicting, right? Yes. Like, yeah. uh, but that changed my life. That, that was a turning point. Uh, so I've lived abroad 23 years of my working life. I have built three uh, high-impact experiential learning companies with a million 300,000 graduates. And uh, I've had a lot of fun. You know, I retired at 46 and skied day, 80 days a year and raised some great kids and traveled with the late John Denver. And, you know, I had a wonderful, wonderful experience. So my life has not been boring. Yeah. So nothing. I mean, that doesn't sound very average to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I know that I, I basically know what you're trying to say, essentially, is that you're a human being and you're going through everyday normal things, but we can still live extraordinary yes. lives through that. Look, at 27, uh, I was broke. I had been divorced and felt guilty about it. Mm. I had, uh, you know, I had three heart attacks at 19, 21, and 23. I'd been told I wouldn't live past 35. I had daily chest pain. My life was a mess. Wow. And I went to one of the early personal development programs, and my life changed. It sounds like a cliche all these years later, but everything changed in those four days. And uh, and a lot of work on me after that also. But, you know, in the following year, I tripled my income. The chest pain went away and uh, my relationships got better mm -hmm. with everyone. So I feel like I'm an I, I'm a pretty good example of what can happen if an average person 
plugs into the right kind of educational effort mm -hmm. and that it doesn't end with high school or college, especially today with the pace of change. Mm -hmm. If you aren't relearning or learning what's new about you and about other people and about the world today, you're going to get left behind. That's, that's just that's just the reality. Yeah, it's true. May I ask who led that personal development program that you took back then? Is it uh, a guy's name is know? Bill Schwartz. Bill he, Schwartz. Uh, Bill Schwartz is living in Florida and enjoying uh, retirement, but he was an instructor for that early company called Mind Dynamics MDI mm -hmm. that I later served as president of that company for four years. That's mm -hmm. how I learned the training business was working for someone else. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a, a certified instructor for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I, you can tell I'm, I'll be grateful to him, even yeah. though it was my dynamics material. But I think we always kind of identify with the person that delivered it. Absolutely. I, I could so. see that. So tell me about experiential learning. That's something that I've read that you focus on, like your company's focus on and your trainings focus on. Well, a lot of ways to talk about it. Learning by doing is certainly one. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that, that goes back to the whole history of the industry and of the human potential movement. Came out of World War II and all the women that went into the factories. Because if you think about it, the men went to war. Mm -hmm. And yet we won World War II. And I've studied this kind of a hobby of mine is history. And we won World War II, first of all, because of, of uh, sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of men and women killed in battle, Americans and Brits and Australians. The second reason was good leadership. But the third reason is the interesting one. We outproduced Japan and Germany. Mm. We fought two wars at once and won. And mm. on, on, you know, in widely separate areas. And we did it because we made more airplanes, more guns, more tanks, more ammunition, more uniforms, more everything. So who made them? And the, the Army looked at that after the war. Uh, they set up an organization called National Training Labs, and they studied what worked and didn't work. And what they realized is that these women came into jobs that where men had apprenticed for 10 and 15 years to get the job and learned it in 90 days. Wow. Now, Jennifer, you may be tempted to say, well, <laughs> that's... May I? <laughs> that's not surprising. <laughs> you know, that's, that's woman power. Yes. Uh, and uh, there's some truth to that, by the way. Uh, but uh, what they actually learned is that you can learn uh, complex subjects by doing them better than from a video, from a book, from a teacher. And anybody that's worked on any kind of intense effort, like I understand your audience and many, many medical people, they all know this already, mm -hmm. that they go through this exhaustive learning process to get certified. And then they find out they don't know anything. Definitely how we feel sometimes. Yeah. So they until they get out there and term hands on comes comes to mind. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's that was the beginning of our industry because they found out that that's the beginning of experiential learning. There's a book published by somebody here in Colorado that I do not recommend the book, but the title's great. And the title is You Don't Learn to Ride a Bicycle from a Book. And that explains experiential learning. You know, with a bike, you see somebody else doing it well, you go, I'd like to do that. You know, you're five years old, seven years old, whatever. And then you're nervous. You know, there's clearly a risk involved. 
wait, explain this to me. I'm going to be on a two wheels. <laughs> yeah. 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 You think and more about it. Maybe you get a coach. Maybe you're fortunate to get a coach, someone to help you at first. And uh, uh, and then there's that exhilaration and fear. I mean, maybe you scrape your knee. Maybe you, you know, break an arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually you do it. And, and then if you don't do it for a long time, like let's say 10 years, can you still ride a bike? Mm. And the answer, of course, is yes. You might be a little apprehensive, a little shaky at first. But once that that muscle memory is created, and it's the same thing about neural pathways in the brain. There's a lot of recent research on that. So what we do in our work, we do a lot of learning games. We do simulations. We do guided meditations. We do guided conversations with mm-hmm. other one other person or in a small small group so that people have an experience of the qualities of life that seem to make life better. So that's been my my life work. I love that. So healthcare providers, like one of the reasons why we connected was because you told me that a lot of people who enroll in your program are healthcare providers. And I think you being on the show is kind of a way to, you know, represent that and, you know, show appreciation for that and what we do, which I appreciate. But can you tell me, like, what is the reason that healthcare providers decide to enroll in your programs and, and learnings? And what do they walk away with? Well, my first exposure to this happened to be in Japan, and uh, we were a 100% referral-based business. We did no advertising. We had no sales force. So if you did the seminar and you liked it, you'd bring your friend or your brother, sister, mother, dad, colleague from work. You'd Mm -hmm. say, hey, this was really good for me. It's how I went to my first seminar, and it's how that 1,300,000 people went. So things go in waves, and uh, in Japan years ago, we suddenly noticed that we had we were approaching 1,000 nurses and doctors in one city. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was because somebody went and then they told somebody and, you know, it just grew like that. Mm-hmm. And they tended to, to uh, narrow their focus on how I can be happier, more satisfied, and more effective in my role as a nurse or as a doctor. Uh, so I got, I just got curious about it. I didn't know anything about the medical field mm-hmm. except as a customer. So I, I went and talked to a lot of people. One of the things I found out, you know, this is this was Japan specific at that time. Their entire medical education system was borrowed from Germany, and it was uh, very precise and very rule oriented. Mm-hmm. And there was not one word about what we now call EQ emotional quotient mm-hmm. about being a human being in the matter mm-hmm. and that specifically nobody knew how to talk about death wow so the and you know these are people that are handling death day after day after day and yet nobody told them how to handle it so i and my sense of it talking with these people was that they got into the profession because they care and they care a lot now, I'm going to share something with you, Jennifer, that is sounds like it's disconnected, and it's connected at the hip, like, strongly. Our second-level training is really intense. We really get people to deal with their image versus their authentic self. We get a lot of truth-telling in the seminar, and, you know, people talk about their past com- and get to complete on their past any blame or shame or regret or guilt. 
uh, they get, they deal with it and get the negative energy off of it. Mm-hmm. Well, think about the trainer in that role. Yeah. He's got he or she has seventy people in front of her, and they're talking about really serious life issues. What about their the impact on that human being, not just mm-hmm. our seventy students? Mm-hmm. So we had an ironclad rule that those trainers could not work on Monday and Tuesday. They could get fired for coming into the office on a Monday or a Tuesday. It was enforced because we knew they needed time to breathe. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, they were well-trained, especially about letting go of kind of picking up that negative energy themselves. Exactly. We did a lot of work on it, on how to do it. And then our mechanism was you have to be with your family Monday and Tuesday. Not in the training room. And these are people that are so excited about our work. They want to work all the time. Right. They do. They want to come in on Monday. and But the rule was, come in on Monday or Tuesday, you get fired. It was a device, and a mechanism to support people clearing themselves of any of that energy having leaked onto them, almost like a virus. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you could kind of use a medical metaphor there. Right. So... What these people told me was that they were not prepared to to continue to be a really good human being, even though that's the whole reason they were in the profession. They want to help people. But people's stuff, to use a very technical term, would rub off on them. So since then, I have found the medical industry does not do a very good job of preparing people on the emotional quotient side of things, Mm. on how, how to hold on to who they are as human beings and how to, and if you look at burnout, it seems to me a lot of it comes out of that kind of disappointment. And the other thing, frankly, that I've noticed recently is the number of overweight people in hospitals, working in hospitals. And I know, I know it's true about me. Maybe I'm projecting it onto them. I don't know. But when I'm stressed, I eat. Yeah. I've been working I'm not doing that, looking at the source of that and all that stuff. But the number of uh, grossly overweight people working in hospitals, and maybe I'm looking for it, you know, Mm -hmm. I I admit that. But it seems to me it's a very large number. And what I extrapolate from that is they're not taking care of themselves. They're taking care of everybody but themselves. Mm -hmm. And that hurts, frankly, it hurts my heart. Because it's almost like dishonoring their intention. And that yeah. we as a culture are not taking care of them, but they're also not taking care of themselves. And so in terms of what people get out of our trainings, this is true for everyone, not just the medical profession. A lot of it has been about letting go of the past, mm-hmm. letting go of blame, shame, regret, guilt, and even past success. And uh, the second part, is to learn to better tell the truth about current reality. And, you know, I worked in Asia for a lot of years. The Zen Buddhist saying is to develop a selfless regard for reality. So you really see the truth instead Mm -hmm. of making up some story about it. And then finally, if you've done those two things, that you create a a future freely chosen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, quite often people's futures are bound up in their past or in their story, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's not a it's not free choice. And then they wonder why why don't I? You know, I hear the the joke about uh, 
uh, oh, it's Monday. Uh, right. You know, yeah. it's Monday. Uh, now ongoing. It's an ongoing joke. <laughs> or her, yes, or hooray, it's Friday. Yeah. Uh, neither, neither of those things occur to me, uh, yeah. frankly. I take days off in midweek. I, you know, I love doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And, but I've done some work on clearing out my own dysfunctional negative beliefs about work, about making money, mm-hmm. about other people, about the world, uh, you know, and I think that's the challenge for all of us. Mm-hmm. But particularly in the medical field, I see this dichotomy of people who go into the profession to genuinely help people. And uh, that uh, the first person, from my point of view, that they better help is themselves. Right. So when they're coming to you, though, Robert, are they coming because they're ready to take care of themselves? Is that kind of or do they not expect that that's the direction it's going? <laughs> no, you know, I look, most people they are like me. They expect that kind of an experience to be a, a palliative. I'm going to feel okay. I feel a little bit okay. Maybe I'll meet some nice people. My friend told me that was good. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And uh, people generally go after what they want, not what they need. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they want more friends and they want a little, uh, a little bit happier, maybe a little less stress. And then they get shocked when they come into our program to find out that our standards are pretty high in terms of what's possible for them as human beings. Wow. And how long would somebody be in a a program for like on average? Well, uh, currently I only work with uh, organizations. Okay. And it's it's usually a a three or four day program. uh, And then uh, sometimes followed by a five day program at a later date, but uh, to go even deeper and more powerfully. But that's also the model for the personal growth trainings. And there are people really good people doing uh, personal growth work all over the world today. And most of them stole my stuff, but uh, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of okay about it. <laughs> I guess it's a compliment to you. <laughs> it, is a, it is a compliment. Although, although, you know, you should be credited for sure. <laughs> Look, um, I, I, I would love to get a royalty on all the programs, but uh, somehow that hasn't worked out that way. Because you've been doing this for 40 years, is that right? Like you've been yes. at this a long time. Okay. Yes. Wow. And I, I'm such a, a big advocate for personal development and, you know, personal growth. And I believe it, you know, as healthcare workers, we we do so much professional development, right? We, we're constantly focused on focusing on our skills, our output, our knowledge. But what you're talking about is is really like experience transformation. Like it's where the worker themselves, the professional themselves experiences a personal transformation too. And I've, I've always felt like actually was just saying this yesterday to some child life specialists um, during my book club. But um, I was saying that if you take a a professional course, a professional development course, also be sure to look at your personal development and look at what you're doing to nurture yourself too. Because I, there was a time where I was all about, you know, getting certified in everything, right? (laughs) As a, as a physiotherapist, that was what I did. I was, you know, my first five years, super ambitious that way. And then it was after that, that I realized, well, like I need to take care of myself. And, you know, and that was when I got more into personal development and, you know, whether it was just stuff I was reading, stuff I was listening to, but it was constantly going like on a daily basis, a little bit of something to fill my cup. You know, there are a lot, there are many videos online that you can watch of people 
uh, doing street interviews and asking questions about who's the current vice president and things yes. like that. And, <laughs> and quite often they don't know, but they can tell you the last three relationships that Kim Kardashian had mm -hmm. in detail. And I'm not into making anybody wrong. That's not a choice I would make. But uh, what I would suggest is that if you spent that time that you spend on other people's lives, which seems to be so popular, especially in the United States right now, mm -hmm. uh, if you spent that time on you, that there are books, that there are videos, there are uh, coaches, there are training programs, and that the, the benefit is huge. It's mm -hmm. just huge. Look, we do, in fact, bury stuff from our childhood that doesn't work very well as an adult. We do, in fact, live sometimes in a story that has little connection to reality. And we focus on, you know, the latest insult or slight or a mistake or whatever, instead of on the, our vision for the future. And uh, so that's why I'm still working, Jennifer. And I, well, I have another reason, but but that's my primary reason. Yeah, there's still work to be done for sure. There's work to be work to be done, <laughs> beginning with me. Yeah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I think that's you know for all of us for sure. So you spoke about passion actually and purpose. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, is there a like a common problem when people are trying to live their passion and purpose? Because um, in healthcare, I think that's what we're trying to do. You know, as healthcare workers, we're living in a we're trying to work in purpose essentially. Um, but is there a common problem or challenge that you find people generally encounter when they're they're moving toward that? Well, the joke is not a joke. Ready for that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. When you're up to your ass in alligators, it's difficult to remember that your objective was to drain the swamp. When life is coming at you and problems and issues and all of that stuff, it's pretty difficult to sit down and say, hmm, I'm unique among seven plus billion people on this okay. planet. God has something in mind for me in terms of what I should be accomplishing here on this planet and uh, a state of purpose, a why for my life, uh, for this unique person that I am. When the kids throw all their clothes on the floor or your boss is a lousy supervisor, great, maybe a great doctor, but a lousy manager, you know, all these kinds of things that happen in life, mm -hmm. you get distracted from that conversation of why am I here? And yet, when you do get that, then everything seems to fall in place. I have a best-selling book, and it's so difficult for me to sell other people's books. But here goes. Simon Sinek wrote a book mm -hmm. about the why, about purpose, and I recommend it highly. I was going to write it, but he beat me to it. You know, <laughs> one of those. Uh, and, me too. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I also recommend that you can go on video. It's on YouTube. It's free. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, search Brene Brown for work on vulnerability and being authentic and getting back to your true self. I mean, the woman is like off the chart brilliant at communicating so simply and yet so powerfully. Yeah. Uh, so that's a couple of things you can do. You can buy my book. It's pretty good. A lot of people have reported value. My daughter, uh, Megan, teases me that 
at this advanced stage, I've become a bookseller, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I'm an author too. I've written a book oh. as well. And I always feel uh, awkward about sharing my book. Like it, I've written it in 2019 and it never feels like it's just hard for me to promote it, I guess you can say. <laughs> I'm awkward about yeah. it. <laughs> um, I, even though I, I know it allowed value. <laughs> I've I've gotten marginally better when I when the book first came out and I, you know I built my companies from behind the scenes. If you think about famous training companies like uh, Tony Robbins, it's mm-hmm. Robbins International, Dale Carnegie, uh, Covey Leadership. Yeah. And I never put my name on a company. Now we would need a therapist and a couch to fully explain that. <laughs> but when I did the book, I suddenly realized I'm in public now. And unless I want a garage full of books or a warehouse full of books, I need to go out and talk to people about it. And But I was encouraged in the early days because some people I really respect, like Ken Blanchard and Jenny, uh, Jimmy Colano and, and people like that, mm-hmm. are raving about the book and buying copies for their friends and all that stuff. So then I felt kind of good. And then I started noticing people would say to me, oh, I loved your book. But I was disappointed. So, of course, I would say, well, what disappoints you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very nervously. Yeah. And they said, well, it's not about you. I mean, the name of my book is Living an Extraordinary Life. And people would say, you've lived an extraordinary life. Why isn't the book about you? And I said, no, it's about the interaction between our participants and our material. Mm-hmm. Because we wanted it to be valuable. Like, you know, it's not the same as the training, but. It's the best we could do to create that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there is one chapter that's about me that uh, I recently have been willing to admit. It's called uh, The Greatest Dysfunctional Belief. You are not enough. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. not enough. And that was true for me for many years. And it created a lot of accomplishment mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot mm-hmm. of unhappiness. But uh, I think that exercise for me of writing that book and then being out and having people react to it has also been good to me, good for me in terms of what's next in my learning, mm. you know, and, and that's been incredibly valuable. And what is that, Robert? It's getting that I'm enough. Sure. That's what I figured, but yeah. And I have to, of course, take a deep breath. I don't know if you noticed that, but that it's yeah. getting that I'm enough. So I'm st- it's like it's like a new uh, set of clothing, you know. I'm still trying it on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're getting a feel for it. <laughs> so now, for someone to generally succeed, and I guess it depends on how you define success. But what, and maybe that's one of the the things that you have to do. But what what does have to happen in order for the opposite to occur? Uh, when I did the uh, uh, PR tour for the book, you know, the, you send the books out. The PR company sends the books out. Somebody reads them in a radio station, a TV station, a, a newspaper. Usually, not the interviewer. Usually, mm-hmm. some grunt, some intern. Right. And then they come up with five questions. Uh, and by the way, one of the questions is always snarky. Oh. You know, it's like the, they must teach that in journalism school or something. You know, mm-hmm. one of the questions has to be to put you back on your heels. But yeah. the most commented on quote from the book, interestingly is that life is simple. This does not mean it is easy. Mm. So the great teachers throughout the history of man or womankind say they tell us how to live a successful life. 
They do. Mm-hmm. It's it's known from Confucius or Jesus Christ or Muhammad or Lao Tzu. The lessons for successful living are out there. However, we and in, in the Western world particularly, we are trained that life is supposed to be easy and that getting the lessons are is hard. It's the opposite. Life is simple. It just isn't easy. Nitschke says life is hard and then you die. Jordan Peterson says life is tragic and you need to learn how to navigate through it. So the wisdom is out there. It's our resistance to it that gets in the way. But if you're to answer your question directly, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that time spent on reflection, on being quiet, to figure out who the hell you are mm-hmm. and What's your life really about? Why are you here on the planet? With your unique keyword there, all caps, neon, whatever it takes for you, your unique self is a gift here on the planet. And you got to learn how to present that gift and share it with others. And uh, it's quite often, it's not what your mother told you you were going to be. It's not with the school. It's not the school you went to. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a, this kind of connection to the medical field. I had a dear friend named Louise Leaf. Uh, Her husband was our corporate lawyer. And also he was on the board of the Windstar Foundation with me, with John Denver. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marty Leaf was just this wonderful man, no longer with us. Louise was terminally ill for 17 years. She was supposed to die this year for 17 years. And she ended up, are you aware that neighborhoods have mayors in New York City? I never knew that. Neighborhoods? They, neighborhoods. Oh, no. So, yeah, she was the mayor of Greenwich Village. Oh, wow. Super. She I got love elected. Greenwich Village. Yeah. And she yeah. got elected during the time that she was terminally ill. So she mm-hmm. had a huge amount of ex- everything was wrong with this woman, except her attitude. Mm-hmm. And boy, and that was so right that it covered everything else up. I mean, I hosted her and she only had one half of one lung. So and I hosted her in Aspen, Colorado, at 80, 8,500 feet. You know, wow. Uh, you know, wow. But she she wasn't going to turn down the invitation to hear John Denver live, so she came. I heard a cassette tape of a lecture she did to the medical school at Columbia, and uh, you know, one of those old cheap cassette recordings with that famous hiss. Mm-hmm. In it, you know, you have to be a little that's, older. That's kids gold to know. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kids kids today don't know about the hiss. But, <laughs> you know, and really poor quality. And I remember listening to this thing, and, it, and I could summarize by saying, she's and she's talking to uh, residents, new residents at the whatever that hospital is in Columbia. And mm-hmm. she said, you were probably the smartest kid in grade school. She's talking only to these doctors mm-hmm. at, at one of the finest universities in the world. Yeah, and uh, uh, she said, uh, "You, you, you were probably the smartest kid in your grade school, and uh, then you were the smartest kid in high school, and then you went to college. You're one of the smartest kids in college, and then you got through medical school, and you interned, and now here you are, and uh, you have absolutely no idea about how to be with people." You, Powerful. you don't you, you don't know why you're here, except that it, you get a lot of praise for being the smartest person in the room. And you have no idea why you're here. And then she said things like, like, if you want to call me Louise, 
that's okay, but I'm going to call you Fred, mm. not doctor. You know, things like that. Yeah, she wow. just, based on her experience, she just took them on. And yet I think there's a lesson there for all of us that mm. we tend to just follow a track. And quite often that track is chosen by other people, by circumstance, by economic status, by race, all kinds of reasons why we, you know, get to where we are. But at any given moment, we can have a process of discovery, mm -hmm. who we are, why we're here, what we really want to contribute. I love that. I love that so much. And I think that it's so important for us to recognize that it's never too late. Like we're never, we're never really stuck. I think sometimes that's the story we tell ourselves and we get caught up in that story that we're stuck when really there's, you know, when you're speaking of yourself, essentially things are infinite when it comes to ourselves, right? And, and I think it comes down to that human potential that you were kind of talking about earlier. So what was her name again? I, I'd like to look her up actually, because I wrote a book on communication and healthcare. That was what my book was about. And it was about, it was about connection. And so that really resonated with me. Louise Leaf, L-E-A-F. One of the gifts, she's a gift in my life. One of my own special experiences was going to the celebration of her life in, in Greenwich Village. Wow. Uh, just a very special woman. What advice do you have, Robert? We're about to sign off, but what advice do you have for you know a healthcare worker right now who's feeling like, so some of the components of burnout would be like exhaustion. They're feeling emotionally exhausted and depleted. They're feeling cynical, maybe depersonalized. Um, and they're practiced from patients or, or others. What are your words of advice or inspiration so that they can find their way back on track or back to their purpose again? You know, what I'm noticing is not so professional, maybe more personal. Mm. It's, it's to realize the gift you are. And by the way, you can, you can go on YouTube and search John Denver, the gift you are. It's the song he wrote as a result of attending our seminar. But I think as life comes at you at a pretty high rate of speed, you forget the gift you are. And then every once in a while, somebody will say, well, like, you know, in the recent pandemic, oh, you know, these are such wonderful people and they're giving and all of that. But it isn't just during the pandemic that you are a gift to the world. You are appreciated by many, many, many people. And the higher quality the person is, the more they appreciate you. So that's that's the first part. Secondly, is take some time for you. It might be a walk. Uh, it might be a swim. It might be a meditation or prayer routine. Uh, reading. Uh, I have a friend who reads one of those little simple books that have the daily uh, Bible verse. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot to her. So whatever works for you to disconnect from the craziness. Uh, you know, my mother was an angry, violent woman. Didn't seem to want like children, but has many of them. But she read every night. That's how she stayed sane. She she was widowed three times, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we joked about it being her cooking, but, you know, she led a tough life. Mm -hmm. But my strongest memory of her is sitting in her, the kitchen, and she worked. She always worked. And then a bunch of kids. But after 9 o'clock, she was in the kitchen reading. And she had only a sixth grade education. So, but she was one of the better educated women I've ever met, because wow. she read every night. Mm -hmm. And so what is it that you're doing in your life 
to take care of you. And that might be nutrition, it might be exercise, it might be being quiet, arranging some quiet in your life, whether that's through prayer or meditation or reading or walking or swimming, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, to find some time for you to recognize the gift you are and celebrate it. I love that. Thank you so much. And where can people connect with you, Robert? You know, I, I because I do only work with organizations today and a few senior leaders, uh, I also want, I have a few things I can contribute. So if you go to extraordinarypeople.com, you'll find an opportunity to sign up for my weekly email where I share uh, some thought that captured my attention and then a few words about it. It's all designed to be read in one minute or less. Therefore, it's mm -hmm. called the Extraordinary Minute. And along with that, when you sign up for that, you'll also get a 28-page PDF that is shareable. And, and I recommend, if possible, that you print it out. I'm pretty big on reducing paper waste. But yeah. this is a good one to print out because there's a little quick self-evaluation in it around something we call the eight principles uh, for, for successful living. And you get a chance to rate yourself, but also get an understanding of those eight principles and choose one or two that you can work on. You know, don't take on the whole universe right away. Yeah. But both of those things are free. Of course, I, I would be disappointing Megan if I didn't say uh, and buy my book. It's, uh, <laughs> you can get a signed say it, copy. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a signed copy on the website or you can go to Amazon. And it's on Kindle and, you know, all of that stuff. So got to do my book salesman thing. But <laughs> sign up for the uh, sign up for the weekly e-zine. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and all that stuff. Feel free to reach out at this point in my life. It's about relationships. It's about connecting and contributing. Beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here and for contributing today to myself um, and also to the listeners of this show. It was so appreciated. And it was great meeting with you. It's my great pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. All the best. Thank you, Robert. You too. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.